podcast this week we're joined by the beast from Beauty and the Beast yes it's Empire Spirit Animal Dan Stevens and it's director Bill Condon which I guess makes him the beauty plus usual news and nonsense on the movie podcast that has learned to self-edit watch out people I can now edit the podcast which means Helen I can make you look yeah add <laughs> Wow, your editing skills remain. Edible. (laughs) Hello, pod. I'm Chris Hewitt, and welcome to the Empire Podcast, which this week is once again sponsored by those wonderful people at 3, the mobile phone network that is also, also, the sponsors of this year's Empire Awards, which take place on Sunday. We'll be talking about those later in the show. Very, very exciting. This week, I'm joined by two colleagues of such lethal cunning. First up is our geek. I genuinely edited last week's podcast. Fantastic. I know I you did. I know so you did. And can we give him a round of applause? Proud of so myself. Quiet. Thank you. You just gave yourself a round of applause. <laughs> Phil didn't even have a chance to put his hands together. I absolutely deserve it. Five years has taken. Five years. And no complaints. Well. <laughs> oh, dear. I've heard that from ladies before. No complaints from the ladies. Well, okay. Uh, first up, yeah, um, you've already heard her lots, uh, is our geek queen, a lady who is overjoyed to learn that filming has commenced in New Zealand on a movie called Winchester. But then she was dismayed to find it's not a movie about two brothers whose shirts just mysteriously fall <laughs> off. It's Helen O'Hara. How it, are you? I am very well. It is like literally described as a supernatural horror movie. Naturally, I assumed it was a spin-off. Supernaturally, you assumed it was a spin-off? Supernaturally. There yeah. we go. Yeah. No. Yeah. And what is it? Uh, it's a supernatural horror movie. That's pretty much all I know, to be honest. Um, isn't it funny how the name Winchester keeps propping up you know in, in horrific situations yep the Winchester pub the Winchester pub this film and uh, Philip Winchester yeah basically I, I can't go Star Strike Back right <laughs> <laughs> that's such a random reference it is isn't it where did that come from I just love that laugh sorry I felt like that I felt like with my new found <laughs> editing, editing that was powers. that laugh like you've been asleep and you've just woken up and you're just trying to seem like you're down with what people are talking about but no I was paying attention okay, sure good. sure good <laughs> There's another season of Strike Back on its way, by the way. There is. Much uh, opportunity to continue to reference it. Um, I don't know whether Philip Winchester and uh, Sullivan Stapleton will be be returning. Who can can dare dream? and Keith Bullitt, uh, the the stars of, of that show. But uh, yeah, not that's not their real name. That's not it? their real character. It's name, not far it? off, though, is it? It's not far off. Um, next up, again, you've already heard him because nobody respects my introductions anymore. They just talk <laughs> willy nilly until you know. Just wait until you're introduced. Next up, we have our art house guru, a man who was overjoyed to learn he's covering his, his face because he hasn't. He's got no idea what I'm about to read. Normally I know, um, but I've got no clue. A man who was overjoyed to learn that filming has commenced on subtitle The Movie, starring what? Werner Herzog as, and I'm not making this up, Helfetic Dingbats, a typographer <laughs> who stumbles upon a conspiracy to remove all subtitles from Star Wars movies. And then it'd be chaos. We wouldn't know what Jabba the Hutt was saying. It'd be just, it'd be just nuts. Uh, it's Phil Dissemblian. How are you? We're excited by that news. That seems like a- fake news. It's not fake oh, news. What? It is. What? Come on. Come on, Chris. Why are you taking the subtitles away from this movie? Is what he would say. Uh-huh. 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 Show some respect. <laughs> Show some cocking respect. Uh, all right. Welcome both to the podcast. I hope that you're both very well. Pretty well, thank you. Already mildly disenchanted. <laughs> <laughs> 
Seems fair. But Seems as much fair. as can be expected, in other words. Okay. Yeah. Um, I'm glad. I'm glad to have you both here because I've come to consider you as... People I met. Yeah. Um, right. Should we have a question? Yes, please. All right. The the long pause as I try and drag this out is because I've lost a question. I always lose a question. Shall I read it out? It's right in front of me. Is it right in front of yeah. you? Yeah. Okay, go on. Um, in honour of St. Patrick's Day. Oh, hey. uh, which is today. As record, you listen to this. We're recording this on the 16th, 16th yeah. but you're hearing this on the 17th. Yeah. How that works, I don't know. Which one is it? Time travel. Uh, the 17th. St. So Patrick. St. Patrick's Day Eve. Yeah, he drove all the snakes out of Ireland on the 17th. Uh uh, no. Yeah, no, that's exactly what happened. Uh, Trust the Protestant. What does St. Patrick say to the snakes as he drove them out of Ireland? You're right in the back there, lads. <laughs> no. <laughs> really? I feel like my culture is, is under attack that? suddenly. Yeah, I'm not I'm not from the Emerald Isle, as people may have noticed. Okay. So I feel like I should approach this question with some respect. Mm. You what don't was want to culturally question? appropriate. What was the question? Ask the question. Oh, I'm not questioning. Worst examples of the Irish accent on screen, and that one is from at oh, Fago123. At Fago123. Fago123 with the worst Irish accent that you've ever heard Unless on the screen. Unless the O is a zero. I think it's an O. Okay. No, it's, it's an O. All right. Um, oh, I mean, it's, it's a tough call because it's quite easy to go badly wrong. As, as Chris just demonstrated What do you there. mean? <laughs> who's got right? Like, who's done a good job? Who is an Irish? Mm-hmm. In a movie. Because to my mind, they're all terrible. <laughs> it's it's really tough. It it's really, really tough. Yeah. Let's not forget that Sean Connery um, <laughs> won an Oscar for an Irish accent or something well, in the vicinity of an Irish accent. Right. What should it have sounded like when he says, they put one of your men in the hospital <laughs> was it he goes what? well he just doesn't even what? try no, he's not trying. no he doesn't try There's, this is his his genius though isn't it there are a couple of moments The Untouchables if you rewatch it which I have recently because I appeared on a uh, another movie podcast <gasps> to talk what? about that movie uh, and can I just say first of all that I love the fact that it's St. Patrick's Day and that the two only two teetotal Northern Irish people <laughs> in the history of the world are in this booth right now uh, both talking about St. Patrick's Day uh, so we are um, anyway, so Sean Connery, he does try does occasionally he? to have some Irish inflections in there, but then he just, you can almost see there's a moment in the movie, it's a bit like that Simpsons episode, if you pause it, you can see Ralph Wiggum's heartbreaking. You could almost see the moment in the Untouchables where he just goes, ah, oh, fuck it. I'm not going to bother with that shit. And, uh, and, just, and just does what he does. Do you remember Peter Firth, um, Harry in Spooks, came on the podcast to talk, and he talked about working with... Sean Connery in The Hunt for Red October uh-huh. and The Hunt for Red October was due to start with like a um, a sort of a four page dialogue mm. in Russian which Sean Connery <laughs> was due to due to sort of memorise and uh, give his character mm-hmm. um, some background and so Peter first said that he'd gone into great lengths to learn how to pronounce <laughs> all the words he'd done proper dialogue coaching for several several weeks before shooting it turned up Sean Connery's first moment on Sadie and I'm not fucking doing that she just cut the whole thing out <laughs> and I just started with speaking in his normal Scottish accent and so. why not I mean well, to be I mean, honest you know why not there um, he also of course did, did in inverted commas an Irish accent in the classic Irish film Darby O'Gill and the mm-hmm. Little People mm-hmm. um, 
and and may have learned from that that it was best never to stray from his natural brogue, to be perfectly honest. Um, I mean, Scottish people doing Irish should be really easy. The two are, you know, there is a certain amount of crossover, a certain amount of similarity. But then, you know, Jared Butler also tried in P.S. I Love You. Oh a film God. which would have been, and it was it's a terrible, terrible film, so this is not giving it a huge amount of praise. It would have been at least 90% better, though, if they just said it in anywhere but Ireland because the Irish accents in that are atrocious um, I don't know I mean there haven't been many people who have acquitted themselves well Julia Roberts famously did it quite badly uh, Tom Cruise a got times. a lot of yeah a couple of times yeah. Michael Collins and uh, Mary Riley um, Tom Cruise got a lot of grief for Far and Away although I have had people argue to me that that is how they talk in that part of the country <laughs> in those days in those days I mean sure mm. okay maybe Don Cheadle in the guard doesn't even try <laughs> just awful yeah uh, it's, it's, it's a really it is fair play a really really tough accent to do and for such a small country not just you know, Ireland and Northern Ireland itself yeah. The Northern Irish accent is much harder to do than the it's Irish super accent. super hard, as Brad Pitt found. Brad Pitt, Richard Gere and the Jackal. It's very, very hard. Uh, Daniel Day-Lewis managed it, of course, in, um, well, of course in The Name did. of the Father. Of course but he of course did. he did. Of course he did. But most of them. Most of them, yeah. It's, it's very, very tricky. And, and there is a difference between Belfast and Derry. Yeah. It's you know. very rare uh, that you know someone. Yeah, precisely. The thing about Northern Ireland is you you could you could go twenty miles from Belfast and encounter a completely different accent. Totally I mean, different. You and I have got very very different accents, I would say, and we're yeah. you know we know we do. I think uh, we probably were raised you in sound the, the same to me. There we go. Yeah, Phil's you know with his big old fucking cloth ears. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Those are actually headphones. Oh right, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> they are. These are headphones. <laughs> His cloth and plastic ears. Where do you get those? I had to take the cloth ears off before putting on the headphones. Um, it's really, really tough. I mean, so the, the worst one, I, I, th- I think it's Jerry Butler mm. because he shouldn't be forgiven. Um, <laughs> and Brad Pitt redeemed himself, I think, a little bit with Snatch. He's not yeah, necessarily he did, yeah. playing an Irish person in that. He, uh, he's mm. playing a traveller. Uh, but there's certainly elements of Irish in that accent yes. and it's fun. And the fact that he goes for the, he really dials up the incomprehensibility. Yeah. That really helps. <laughs> uh, but... Yeah, for me, it's Terry Butler because he shouldn't be forgiven because Irish people should be able to do Scottish accents, Scottish people should be able to do Irish accents, or you should be able to have one person who can do both at the same time, like Brendan Rodgers, former <laughs> manager of Liverpool Football Club. Um, John Wayne did a pretty bad job, famously. He did, didn't he? In The Searchers. In The Searchers. <laughs> the Quiet Band. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds of Iwo Jima. What part of Ireland are you from, yeah. mate? Seriously. Um, and... Uh, uh, and James Mason, James Mason, James Mason, James, in Odd Man Out, the Carol Reed IRA. I don't remember thriller. his. I don't, I don't remember his accent. Was well, well, there you go. So he can't have done a good job, or can he? Maybe James Mason. He's supposed so to. It is. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah. He just speaks normally, but puts to be sure at the end of every sentence. I can't remember hearing, uh, I can't remember what Warwick Davis's accent is like as the leprechaun in the leprechaun films, but it has to be shocking, right? I mean, it just has to be. There's no way that, it, it, I, I just, I can't remember it being a good accent. I can remember Paul Dillon's Paddy O'Brien from um, Austin Powers. Oh. With his, with his lucky charms. <laughs> 
<laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> he's not very it's he's not, not very it's good not either right. it's they're not always right. after me they're always after me lucky charms I absolutely adore that joke it's amazing um, um, I'm trying to think who did it well I mean uh, Kate Blanchett in Veronica Guerin was pretty good obviously of course obviously of course yes yeah uh, yeah Brendan Gleeson does a pretty good one Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, he has a he has a, a sort of a head start there, Chris. Would you not say? You've yeah. done, yeah, fair enough. I see what you've done there. Oh yeah, I've <laughs> just been reminded of uh, Justin Thoreau uh, in Charlie's Angels Full Throttle, who is truly horrendous. Oh yeah, no, I'd blank I'd blank that one out completely. Um, Paddy Constant and Samantha Morton in in America did mm-hmm. well though. Yeah, that was good. Absolutely. Credit where it's due, you know. Credit where it's due. It's a it's a tough one. Um, <laughs> it's, a, it's a tough one. Uh, I'm just reading. The, I'm just did a quick search here for worst Irish accent. See if it would you know just uh, uh, prompt some some memories. And someone's got here uh, Pierce Brosnan in Taffin, <laughs> which of course is <laughs> terrible because he is Irish. Yeah, he is. But it's like it's, that's the whole thing. It's it's a tough one. And this is it. Like yeah, you just go down the road and you've got a completely different accent and. Yeah, you're in trouble. So it, and it's very it sing song and lilting, and you can. You well, can, it can be now in some parts of the country. You can oh, you can over exaggerate that element of it, you know. <laughs> and you can really, or you can just go for the really quick talk, and then people don't understand the thing that you're saying. So they don't understand anyway. They don't. Yeah, that's, that's the problem when you come over here. words a minute. Am I right in thinking Amy Adams did it? In, in, in Leap Year, no. no. No, Matthew, Matthew Good. Good. Matthew Good. In Leap Year. And it was Matthew Bad, wasn't it? It was Matthew Bad, bless That's him. That's a bit of a shame. That was a terrible film all round, which portrays an Ireland that is completely unrecognisable to anyone hmm. who's ever been to Ireland. It's, yeah. it's awful. Um, just, just like, to celebrate St. Patrick's Day, just let me yeah. let me say here to anybody listening, mm-hmm. um, it was very important to me growing up, St. Patrick's Day, because it's a day off Lent. Now, we had to give something up for it's Lent. It's a day off... Like so, if you're doing Lent, I don't understand Lent, your strange Catholic ways. I know. So if it's you're doing Lent and you're not allowed any chocolate during Lent, for example, which uh-huh. was which I thought was literally the law as a child. I thought like <laughs> no, I was like, why, Mum, do they sell chocolate in the shops when nobody eats it during Lent? That's crazy. Uh-huh. And she had to explain to me that not everyone did Lent, which basically began my disillusionment with organised religion. Anyway, <laughs> but how many St. days Patrick's has it been since your last confession? <laughs> but St Patrick's. Day, oh, you're, you're avoiding the question. Okay, quite a lot, Chris. Quite okay. a lot. Um, St Patrick's Day is a day off Lent, so it, and, and a lot of English people don't know this. You see, so that's why I'm saying it. If you're English or whatever, and you're doing Lent, it is a day off Lent today. You can eat whatever you want. You can, you know, give up whatever you're giving up on yeah it's great don't you get off uh, school back home yeah we do yeah yeah it's, it's awesome isn't it it's the best day and let's just let's just take a moment to appreciate St. Patrick himself who I don't think has been played on the big screen yet no I don't think he has I think Chris O'Dowd would be a great St. Patrick <laughs> yeah so of course uh, he's not originally Irish no was uh, stolen from home by slavers mm-hmm sold to a man who made him into a shepherd living on Mount Slemish in the north of Ireland where mm-hmm. he spent a long time and then had his mystical visions and then decided to go off and train as a priest and then came back and converted the Irish and got rid of the snakes and the Chris. snake and he yeah, drove yeah. the snakes out yeah that's the thing I was I was getting at not all the other stuff which obviously I knew <laughs> uh, the snakes stuff the now snakes that's, stuff. that's kind of amazing no snakes in Ireland no snakes no in native Ireland. snakes I've always wondered yeah. if they have them in Dublin Zoo yeah, I believe they do well, because that seems like St. Patrick wouldn't approve and they should maybe yeah. rethink their lives a bit, that's all. I don't think he's keeping watch. Well, I don't think he's, you know... I think you'll find that the population thinks he is keeping watch and that's the whole point of the songs, Chris. So if St. Patrick were played on the big screen, okay, so say someone wanted to do a St. Patrick <laughs> biopic, 
Okay. So I'm imagining it as Snakes in a Plane, but somehow even more hardcore and intense. Mm. (laughs) Uh, What would his accent be? Would you not not get the Gleasons? Because then you've got like young St. Patrick and older St. Patrick. This is absolutely banging. This is great. Wouldn't it be like Snakes on a Wagon? Snakes on a (laughs) Wagon. He's got to get across country. <laughs> the mutton and snakes on the mm, yeah. wagon. I'm tired of these feckin' snakes <laughs> on this feckin' wagon. Jesus. What do you get to feck? Chris, they're demonstrating just how hard it is to do a decent <laughs> Irish accent. My Irish accent is absolutely amazing. How dare you? That is an I apologize. Uh, an affront I'm, I'm just going to take it back to right me. now. Chris and I both share a, a, a weird obsession with snakes. Mm. Don't we? Oh, uh, and yeah. we both read a great book, which I'd recommend to anyone listening, called The Snake Bite Survivors oh, Club. Oh, such a good book. In which it takes in each one snake from each continent and recounts the stories of people that have survived being nibbled on by said serpents. And one of them was <laughs> an Australian, and uh, the story was an Irish settler to Queensland, which is known for being basically a carpet of snakes. Um, <laughs> and he wrote home, this was in, I guess, the 18th or 17th or 19th centuries? <laughs> one of those. The time, who can say? It's good who to narrow can it down. say when it was? It was in the past. Or he wrote where? home and he figured out because there were no snakes in Ireland, but there were lots of snakes in Australia. The one thing that was the problem here was the soil. So he caught. He wrote home for several barrels of Irish peat, and he <laughs> dug a ditch. And and when Irish peat came over, what did he say? Hedgehogs. He, he he wanted hedgehogs too. Okay. And Irish peat, not a person, Chris. Okay. Irish actual earth. P a t, Chris. Around the boat, his house the boat comes in. Yeah. And filled it with peat. How did that work? As a sort of a moat. Well, when he finished digging, he went inside and there was a Taipan watching telly. <laughs> so not well. Didn't go well. But it's a lovely story. And it's, it's a very relevant nice to this podcast. It but is, I, I but just want lovely. to plug that book. Yeah. If you can read it, if you're interested at all in... Give in, us the name once more. It's called The Snake Bite Survivors Club. There you I don't go. know who it's written by. It's a very, very good book. It's a really interesting book. Yeah. Gets into all the kind of uh, deep South American snake mm-hmm. handling of the yeah. kind of crazy evangelicals. Well, there are different types of... Uh, and we may be going over the tangent here. But there are little. different types of uh, snake bites in the story, Helen. Mm. So there is another gentleman from Australia who uh, is attacked by a taipan, uh, inland taipan. Now, um, I looked it up in a snake book beforehand. That was And it said, a venom-level bastard. <laughs> so... <laughs> you do not want to be bitten by one of those things and it just Good went tip. for him oh. went for him mm-hmm. um, but uh, there was like a uh, a girl in Texas who was um, her her boyfriend tried to kill her using rattlesnakes that they they were keeping because they were I think evangelical and he went he decided to try and wow. kill her and so I was attacked by a rattlesnake once no yeah come oh, on oh Jesus true. no sort of I was, ri- I was riding on horseback near the Grand Canyon and uh, and a rattlesnake sort of made a lunge at one of the horses mm. no yeah and then what? the cowboy who I was with I'm not kidding went and picked it up by the neck and put it in a barrel and the people from the ranch came out and, and collected it because they picked up a they get horse rid of by the neck <laughs> um, put it in a he barrel? was very strong yeah <laughs> and it was a really large barrel My put it word. in a barrel yeah to bring it back to what? the to bring uh, it back and then they had like cages of, of at the ranch for snakes and stuff that they find because oh they didn't want them God. attacking the beasts. Mm. So anyway, happy St Patrick's yes, Day. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and enjoy your green beer or however it is that you celebrate. Uh, right. If you want to have your question read out in the Empire Podcast, do send them in. We're on Twitter as at Empire Magazine. Use the hashtag Empire Podcast or chances are we won't see it. Maybe you don't want us to see it after listening to this. Who knows? Uh, we're also on Facebook as Empire Magazine and we're on email podcast at empireonline.com.
Okay, time now for our first guest, and it's a bit of a Beauty and the Beast fest this week. So Disney's live-action adaptation of the classic animated tale comes out this week. It's out today. You can go see it as part of your St. Patrick's Day celebrations. Uh, it stars, of course, the likes of Emma Watson and Dan Stevens, who you'll hear later on, and Luke Evans, and lots of other people playing various parts of household <laughs> instruments and whatnot. Uh, but it's directed by Bill Condon, who has directed in the past the likes of Gods and Monsters and Dreamgirls and The Fifth Estate, uh, and very much on form uh, in this one. And he came into the pod booth uh, just a few weeks ago, and he was talking to Phil Dissemlin, who just pointed at himself to tell me that he was talking to Phil. Uh, what did you talk about, Phil? Just give the, the people a chance, a, an idea of what they can they can expect for the next scintillating 10 minutes. Well, I didn't know he directed any of those films, so not that. <laughs> <laughs> Phil. I don't know. Of course he did, Phil. Phil. I am meticulous. Phil does, does research. research. Meticulous. He really prepared. does. No, we talked about Beauty and the Beast, obviously, mm-hmm. and we talked a little bit about, about the fifth state in the context of recent developments in the Julian Assange. Because it's come to light since since the Fifth Estate came out, that Julian Assange is well, he's just living in a broom cupboard. Um, yeah, we 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 didn't get into the the broom cupboard, but we had a fun chat. So I hope people enjoyed. Okay, well there you go. That's, that's set up nicely. Uh, here you go, Bill Condon. Do please enjoy. Delighted to be joined on the Empire Podcast by the director of Beauty and the Beast, Bill Condon. Welcome, sir. Thank you. Great to be here. Love Empire. Oh well, we very much enjoyed the movie, and uh, I just want to get started with. I mean. Obviously, Beauty and the Beast is known for its songs. Mm. Um, I watched it yesterday morning, and I've had earworms mm. in my in my well, head ever my since. Life, yes. I was going to yeah. ask you when you're in the editing suite. Is there a point where you're like, I just don't want to hear "Be My Guest" yeah. any more times <laughs> ever? Well, yeah, you know what? Weirdly, it it actually there's something actually worse than that <laughs> when you make a movie like this, which is that you you are looking at maybe the 322nd version of the Beast where you've just taken two hairs off the side. And and to actually sit down and, and then say, okay, that's fine, but there's a little thing, I'm going to have to watch it another time. That is that is even more maddening, I would say. Okay, yeah. so do you get to the kind of please shoot me phase of... Uh, I, yeah, I got there about, about a week ago. <laughs> and then we finished, yeah. Yeah. Um, I was reading, um, Sir Ian McKellen did a lovely um, piece mm. on his site about the first yes, right. get-together. Yes, yeah, what yeah. do you remember? You, you had a big table read. Which, yeah, you know... What do you remember about well, that? So much about it. It really was a magical day. But, you know, the whole point of it was that this was make, like making a movie at MGM in 1950, right? Because we took over the, the studio, you know, uh, uh, Shepperton, you know, built this entire village in the back lot. Mm. Um, there were buildings with nothing but people making the costumes, another building for the props, you know. So, and then there's like the rehearsal hall for all the dancers. There's the music room. There's a room where I'm rehearsing with the actors. Really, the whole place, right? But everyone had been doing it separately for so long. It felt important to get everyone together in the same very big room and have people read the script and mm. understand what everyone was up to. So that was, I have to say, the debut of Ian McKellen as Jackie Gleason, you know, because that's something <laughs> I've known about him that actually yeah. he prefers Jackie Gleason to Larry, Lawrence Olivier. You know, it's like he's always wanted to do broad comedy, you know. So he, here he is reading the script for the first time. Then Emma Thompson comes and we said, don't worry, you know, we have people to sing this song. So what are you talking about? I'm singing the song. And she stands up and sings Beauty and the Beast for the first time. And that... That kind of inspires Emma Watson to then stand up and do the waltz, which she's been studying for a month. Um, it was one of those things where it's sort of everybody showing what they were up to to everybody else. Really, really magical. And the most moving thing was that 
Alan Menken and his wife, who were so close to Howard Ashman, who, you know, as you know, died right before the original film was released, uh, were in tears at the end, sort of specifically talking about how they wish Howard had been there to see it. Oh, well, this is the third time you've worked with, with Ian McKellen. Yes. When was the first moment you realized he had a pair of pipes on him? I didn't, like, I have to say, not until we got to the recording studio. Not until you saw the film recently. (laughs) Exactly. It was a leap of faith there. I knew he only had to sing, you know, um, uh, kind of a couple of lines. So we thought, no matter what it is, it'll, you know, it'll be Ian, you know. But again, talented people tend to be talented in all areas. So he just has this natural musicality, it turns out, too. Um, Yeah. So, um, and he kept, uh, he's sort of made up a new song, I'm Cogsworth the Clock, you know, that would get more and more elaborate as we shot. So I think he's really hoping for a sequel so he can debut that. Can you give us a, give us any of the lyrics I'm to that clock. one? I'm Cogsworth. I don't think he got too much further than that. He just... Just the title. Over and over again, yeah. Okay, well, we'll check out his, his SoundCloud yeah. page for more, more on that one. he's got a clip of it somewhere. Really? Yes. Cogsworth the Clock. Mm-hmm. Did you... Was there anyone that needed a bit of extra kind of encouragement on the singing front? Because, well, I mean... It, Challenging, challenging yeah. to do. You know what it is? Yeah, there's a whole, people have a whole range of experience, you know. Um, so you've got people like uh, Josh Gad and Luke Evans who've been on stages singing for years, you know. And, and uh, Emma's new to it. Dan Stevens is new to it. And the thing about it is there's like this this line that you have to cross and, and it's sort of a confidence, you know. Mm. Because it's not only singing, but you've sort of got to, even in a movie, you've got to push it across the footlights. You know, you've got to really... and it was wonderful to watch that moment for each of the actors who hadn't done it before. You know, that moment where it's sort of like, instead of being mildly embarrassed that they were doing it in front of people, then it was sort of like, let's go again, you know? And yeah. it happened for both of them. I have this strange reputation as being something of a sort of art house, foreign language film mm. um, aficionado on, on the Empire podcast. Um, I've got to ask you, was there a specific reference to uh, Jean Coteau's Bella Labette in this oh, film? There are many references to it. Okay. Yeah, I think people see, you know... In the kind of colonnade set, I think there's something specific. There are, you know, that great thing when Maurice enters the castle in his movie and all those those people behind Black Velvet holding up the torches and then moving, you know. Yeah. We have a very specific nod to that. And in general, even the bejeweled outfit of the of the, of the beast, you know, we do our, our version of that. Um, and I hope, you know, I... I you know, was trying to capture some of the poetry and delicacy and beauty of that movie. It's a it's a great film, and lots of references to MGM musicals, obviously, well, and musicals RKO of musicals and musicals right? of yeah. all kinds. Yeah, like you know, in the original '91 movie, "Be Our Guest," you know, you're in France, and suddenly you see this Busby Berkeley kaleidoscope, and so I kind of thought, well, let's do that and multiply it times twenty. So I'll I'll give you the first eight re- references, and then people have to find the others and be our guests. But you know, the, there's Cabaret, there's Chicago, there's Martha Graham, there's West Side Story, there's Esther Williams, there's Bugsy Berkeley, there's Bollywood, there is what's another one? I can Singing in the Rain. So you know, part of it is just became like this constant stream of of uh, kind of you know nods. Perfect. Um, one of your characters. Um it seems to sort of come out in the film, yeah. Um, which I don't think I, I can't remember if I've seen that before in a big Disney movie. You haven't, no. no, no. So that's quite a big that's yeah, quite yeah. a big step as well, isn't it? It is. It? It is yeah, but and it's so funny because it's like it it just happens. It's something I, I I'm so proud of, but don't want to talk about too much okay. because it's not. It it sort of happens. I. I as a kind of neat surprise, I think. Wouldn't you agree? Kind I of do like, agree yeah, with yeah. that. Yeah. So let's let's not dwell. But I yeah, mean, it yeah, is exactly. it is yeah. it is. I mean, was that something that required 
sort of persuasion or conversations no, we just or just did it. Yeah. You know, we just I won't say the actor because nope. that'll give it away. No. Nope. But uh we did it. It wasn't in the script, you know, but we sort of invented this thing and um to their credit Disney saw it and they were like, wow, that's a first, let's do it, you know, so th- I, that was nice. Dan, Dan Stevens is, we've we've kind of anointed him as our spirit animal on this podcast. I, yeah. We kind of love Dan. Um, think, yeah. Yeah. Um, when did he first come on your radar? Were you a Downton aficionado or I the liked, guest? I liked or? Downton quite a bit and then I worked with him on The Fifth Estate. Right, um, of course, yeah. Empire favorite, right? That, um, the, um, anyway, the, <laughs> we, that's when I got to know him and, and, I had such a great time with him on that that I, I probably would have followed those movies anyway. But then I really made a point of seeing films like The Guest and and um, and then that Scott Frank film, A Walk, a Walk on the Tombstones. And obviously now people are getting it with Legion, right? But but the fact that he had such extraordinary range, mm-hmm. and you look at the Beast, and it's somebody he's got to be scary and dark and terrifying, and then he's also turning turns into this romantic hero. So it just felt like wow, Dan could do it all. I didn't know that he could sing. Talked to him about it. He was game. Went went and put a song on tape. And uh, luckily, his wife is a vocal coach, so I think she, he got a little help. Oh, there. that's useful. Um, and th- that was it. You know, the Beast actually has better teeth than Stanley Tucci. <laughs> it's true. It's true. In this movie, yeah, yeah. I just there's a great shot of the Tucci at the end, <laughs> and, know, yeah, and there must be dentists kind of like <laughs> moving nervously in their seats at the Very side true. of it. Um, it. It's. Um, I just you mentioned the Fifth Estate. Um, Julian Assange there was a famous story about how Julian Assange wrote an email to Benedict Cumberbatch yes. the day before you started filming on yes. that please um, don't do this please yeah. don't make this movie yeah. which seems a bit late in the production process he could it have come in earlier he but... resisted us for so long and it was so unfair and I, my heart went out to can you imagine being an actor who's as serious as as Ben and who is it, the schizophrenia of you are there in the wig channeling a person who is also inside your head saying, "Don't do this! Don't do this!" It really—I was—I was, I was kind of—I—I—I I was in awe of how he's able to handle it, you know. Um, and and he, but you know, he felt a responsibility to make sure that um, he didn't. It wasn't that Julian approved, you know, but that that we were being fair to him, you know. And I I felt that strongly too, you know. And that's that's I think what was probably um, part of what was so difficult. Uh, for a lot of people about that movie it wasn't it wasn't a sort of anti-Assange movie it wasn't necessarily a pro-Assange movie it was sort of laying it out and the point of view changed from scene to scene you know which I think is right for for him as a figure because he is such a complex figure you know and I think you know smart people can hold two ideas in their head at the same time you know so he is both hero and villain in many ways you know I don't think he's among a lot of people in America, very popular these days, given given the the role he played in the election, you know. Yeah. So, the sixth estate, no, the fifth estate yeah, too. Yeah. Would you be interested? I mean, that story seems to have have uh, wheels. Well, it's true. I mean, God, the, there's Bradley Manning, right? There's, you know, it's true. Um, I don't know. I'll talk to Disney about that. <laughs> <laughs> a musical. <laughs> a musical with Julian Assange. He hasn't presumably. He didn't email Emma Watson the day before you started filming this and yeah, say, "Don't do it." Do He's not no, just no. trolling you, is he? From <laughs> no. from the Ecuadorian no. embassy. Um, they do say, "Don't work with animals." You've worked. This is as many farmyard animals as I've seen yeah, in a live action all movie. In the background. The worst were we had suicidal geese. We had these geese. There was this huge village, you know, and at the end of at the, where Emma Watson. Uh, had to run from it basically the set sort of stopped and it was a 
a kind of 20-foot drop. And for some reason, these geese, as soon as I called action, they all ran for them and tried to leap. So it, I can't tell you, like, we, we kept having a sh- kind of a shot because suddenly all the all the geese handlers were running in to try to save these people, these, people, these animals. There were no geese harmed in, in, the, making. in the making of this movie. But, but um, yeah, you know, the big thing was the horses, right? I mean, Emma Watson had never ridden a horse before. I mean, that's like a, a kind of... It gives you a clue about what she's like, you know? She's like, yeah, I'm going to ride that horse, and I'm going to ride that horse, and I'm going to ride it through this huge forest and kind of, you know, let me do it twice, and I'll land on the mark and jump off. You know, it's kind of... And hadn't been on a horse ever uh, a month earlier, you know, that kind of thing. Crazy. That's nice. Yeah. To get them to really throw themselves into it in that way. Um, So geese psychologists on set (laughs) is the key. We needed it. Yes, exactly. (laughs) Um, You have Kevin Klein in this movie. Yes. I love Kevin Klein. He's not in enough movies. He isn't. Kevin DeCline, you know, famously, right? Right. I know I never heard that. You had I pretended that I did, so I sounded informed, but I really had never heard that. Kevin DeCline, really? Because he's really hard, so how did you persuade him to say yes? I don't know. You know, I was so thrilled. You know, he read it, he was open to it, we talked on the phone. It was just it was an instant oh my god it was i was so excited about the idea but then having talked to him about what he wanted to do with it i was i was got very nervous for the next week or so until we knew he would he would actually commit to it you know uh, what yeah yeah now that's a real a real warm spot for me in this whole lovely movie yeah. is is having him and it's interesting cuz you know the movie's big you know has a scale and it opens in a big way and then there's this tiny scene where Emma goes home to see her father, and Kevin sings this this little lullaby for mm. a minute. And it, to me, you just settle down and like, okay, the movie's really gonna start now. You know, he re- there's something about him that just just kind of gets you focused. You know? Yeah, I mean, he's a lovely char- character in the animation, but very much a cartoon character. Yes, he's got exactly. an eccentric yeah. inventor that you see That's in other right. Disney films, yeah. but here he's not as not as no, zany, no. should we no, say? He isn't. No, no, he's he's crazy old Maurice, but crazy in a different way. Yeah, more tortured, you know. I have to let you go. Sadly, it's been so much fun. Um, I just wondered. I mean, it's it's always a bit um, invidious to ask about a favorite moment on set or a favorite memory. Right. But do you, right. is there one day or one one yeah. kind of thing that really sticks with you? You know what it was? It was you know the we only that amazing uh, cast. You know, we only had it together for like three, yeah. three or four days, but we did the the celebration ball at the end, which is just so lovely, and everyone dancing in unison to that beautiful title song and. Um, uh, you know, hundred extras in the glorious set, and and then you look up and there's Emma, uh, there's Emily Blunt stopping by in her you know uh, huntsman you know spectacular costume, yeah. people are coming by to watch it. You know, it was just there was a sense of magic there that that was a kind of rare moment. You know. And those suicidal geese careering across the, the set. <laughs> All good. Bill Connor, it's been a real pleasure. Best okay, of luck with the release. Um, and thanks for joining us. Okay, good. Bye. Okay, that was Bill Condon. And now it is time to delve into the world of movie news uh, in a week. Should we start with the, the week's big, ah, no, don't, what are you doing, you idiot, news? <laughs> Uh, which is that the three Empire Awards are happening this Sunday. No, of course not. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, the Matrix reboot. Yes. Or a new Matrix movie. New Matrix movie. That's maybe... Yeah, let's be careful how we... Yeah, because we have to use the right terms. Mm. It's a new Matrix Mm. movie. It's reportedly in the works. It sounds like it's still at the drawing board stage very much. The suggestion from some quarters has been that it could be some sort of... uh, 
prequel for, focused on Morpheus, potentially. That's been a story. Not necessarily the story. Is that why Michael B. Jordan has been linked with it that early might on? Assert, that would certainly be consistent with Michael B. Jordan being linked to it. Um, okay. not, not to say that that sort of limits it to that. Of course not. Um, but yeah, th- there's a story about... Uh, Movement uh, with apparently Warner Brothers starting talks with Zach Penn to write a treatment for this film. Apparently, the Wachowski siblings are not currently involved, so that's a bit of a thing. Um, Who? What's Zach Penn's pedigree? Yeah, so Zach Penn uh, has a very long history in Hollywood. He he was the first writer or one of the first writers on Last Action Hero before Shane Black stepped in. Uh, he worked on. X-Men 2, he worked on Elektra, he worked on um, The Last Stand, mm-hmm. Incredible Hulk, and Avengers Assemble. So, you know, there's there's a little bit of uh, a mix there. He's written a screenplay for the Karate Kid 2 sequel, the, the sequel to the Jaden Smith one, which mm-hmm. we still haven't seen any real movement on. And he's also written Ready Player One for Spielberg, which is a good sign, hopefully. So, but it's, it's quite... Uh, uh, up and down history, let's say, well, with big it, name franchises. Yeah, it's, it's it's certainly an interesting history. He is, I think Simon Kimberg has said this in the past, he is one of the two credited writers on X-Men The Last Stand. So, you know, he is responsible for that script. Um, his Incredible Hulk script isn't great. He was certainly, I think, one of Marvel's writers in the early days of, uh, of Marvel Studios. And he did the first draft, quite famously on Avengers uh, which then was very 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 comprehensively weedened mm-hmm. uh, and since then weirdly enough that was his last credit as a as a movie screenwriter uh, his last produced um, in fact he's not even he's credited with story now in Avengers yes, Avengers. yes. he's not credited not, with not the screenplay script, yeah. uh, he then created the TV show Alphas which some people on Twitter because I was going on a slight sack pen rant earlier when this news came to came to light uh, said Alphas was decent which I thought was the epitome of damning with faint praise but but, but there you go um, and of course yeah he's he's uh, written Ready Player One um, or is one of the writers on Ready Player One along with Ernest Klein and Eric Eason and I'm sure sundry others who aren't credited but it's um, I don't particularly think he's a great screenwriter He's certainly not a uh, not on a par with the Wachowskis. So I'm not entirely sure where we go from there. From here, this yeah, it's I know. mean it's it's one of these things. Do we and do we have? I mean, listen, listen. The 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 world of the first Matrix film. When you go back to that, and it, and it sort of it was tarnished a little bit with age, and I think, and with with the sheer levels of hype for the for the sequels, and the way we were so excited about those, and we were so disappointed by them, uh, that I think it tarnished the original a little bit. But I went back a couple of years ago and watched it again, and it blew my mind all over again. It yeah, is great. a great, great film. Um, the animatrix at the time showed that you could go in lots of crazy, twisted, weird directions with it. So there is a world there that could be interestingly explored. I just wonder if. You can do that without the Wachowskis. Mm-hmm. I wonder if, I mean... Oh, well, you can do Star Wars without George Lucas. So You can, that's so true, seems- but he passed... The- I don't know. Anyway, no, he chose. He, he chose, chose to step away. He chose the, to step away. The so. idea for Matrix being done without the, the Wachowskis' consent would be certainly uh, upsetting. 
to me. I don't think that that's something that I, w- I would particularly particularly like. Uh, I think there's a lot of good stuff in the Matrix Revolutions and the Matrix Reloaded, and I've, I've, I know that's a very unpopular opinion. But uh, they're 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 by and large bad films. But there's some really there's some great stuff things. in them. Yeah, some, you're right, and they're full of ideas. Yeah. And um, I don't know if Zach Penn is a is a person who is acquainted with subtext. So. Who knows? We shall. We shall certainly see. My personal feeling in this is that uh, I believe Joel Silver was was involved with this as well. This floating idea, this floating this idea, and I get a sneaky suspicion that this idea was the the news about this was leaked, uh, perhaps or or put out there maybe to test the waters, a little toe in the water. What do people think about us doing another Matrix movie? And then, uh, if, judging from Twitter, the idea would be no. People yeah. like a thousand voices going, No, it's the worst thing ever. What are you doing? So, yeah, it could be, it could, yeah. could well be. Um, but anyway, something to potentially might be keep putting the sack cap back on. in the sack pen. There's a lot of stories this week, isn't there? Yeah, a lot of stories actually. A lot of stories um, this week. Okay, well, uh, let's let's go back to classic Hollywood quickly. Okay, just for me because I hope this will be uh, quicker. Netflix are apparently working on completing. Orson Welles' last project, The Other Side of the Wind. Now, this is something that he shot over a period of years and then spent even more years uh, either struggling to edit or having the print removed from him because of money issues and production and blah, blah, blah. Um, And a team which includes uh, Peter Bogdanovich and Frank Marshall, both of whom worked on the project with Orson Welles back in the day as very young up-and-comers, are now working with Netflix to try and make it actually happen. Um, now, obviously, it's a bit concerning when anybody tries to finish another filmmaker's work. Mm-hmm. Um, like Zach Penn with the Wachowskis. <laughs> a. But at the same time, this is a, this is a pretty fascinating one because mm. it was uh, a really big, sprawling, ambitious endeavour in the first place. Wells, I mean, there's a fascinating story in Vanity Fair, which I recommend reading, but Wells ran into huge problems. He had to recast a, a fairly major character halfway through. He started essentially without a script. The script kept changing as he went. He didn't really... Entire, people didn't really work from script for dialogue because he would basically tell them where their character was at and then let the scene unfold, uh, things like that. So he had a, a mountain of footage and no very coherent plan about what to do with it, at, at, certainly at one point. But he did assemble at least a rough cut before he died. And so there is there is something there to go on. And he certainly had a conversation, which is quoted in that Vanity Fair piece, with Mike Nichols sort of saying, maybe it's up to someone else to say what our legacy should be and to say what this should be. So mm-hmm. there's a there's a sort of a almost a permission there. So I'm kind of I'm intrigued and I'm really hoping to to just see it given some sort of life, given some sort of release um, at last. There are loads of notes, aren't there? Loads of editing notes. Loads He's left of, tons yeah. of stuff. Yeah. Like a little treasure treasure trail. Uh, and and like I say, you know, Bogdanovich yeah. and Marshall were actually there. Yes. working with him on it so that's a, yeah. that's a good sign so uh, The Other Side of the Wind a title that he himself admitted means nothing it, it's a terrible terrible title you know but I think if we could talk to Orson <laughs> more Colin Orson uh, it, we'd probably, he'd probably change that he might do but the, you know the exciting thing is uh, Orson Welles film potentially coming to Netflix we don't have an exact date yet they're just going to work on it get it done mm. make it happen of course you know, you know the way they make that movie you make loads and loads of money how's that Captain America colon the other side of the wind <laughs> I mean now you put it like that I mean, alien the other side of the wind and just 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 add a different word yeah. to the to the start there that's, yeah. that's great idea, power Chris. rangers uh-huh let me just type that one up on my invisible typewriter here that's you got an invisible typewriter too yeah that's amazing I, I, I write all your ideas up yeah. on that Chris HR said that the other day when I asked for a pay rise hmm hmm they hey. used invisible calculator for that didn't they yeah, yeah. tiny calculator I've got one 
we're going to talk about it a little bit with uh, in our next guest, but Legion, uh, the um, yeah. The uh, the FX TV show has been commissioned for a second season. Mm-hmm. Now, I've literally only seen an episode and a half of it so far, but I am enjoying <laughs> it thoroughly. I don't know what's going on. I would but like I someone... Like yeah. I like its sort of out there, weirdy, kind of tactile approach. It feels very different from any superhero property that's out there at the moment. It feels different from really anything, anything. that's out there. I think it's yeah. it's completely trippy and mm. mind-bending. And I'm sort of... have no idea what's going on, but I'm sort of fascinated by it at the same time. Yeah. yeah. Of course, it's uh, the work of Noah Hawley, the yes. man behind Fargo, seasons one, two, and soon to be three. Um, so he is clearly going to be a busy guy um, forging this out. And it's still sort of... It's a, obviously an X-Man character yes. that Dan Stevens plays but still not tying in with anything in any other superhero universe. That's true although he, he's left the door open to but that the door is open we don't yeah, know if so. that's where it will go. But um, yeah de- definitely I mean the weirdest show I think out there right now and uh, and certainly the weirdest superhero movie we've ever seen. It's one of those ones where you think so, even the cast don't quite know what's going on. But I, think, I, think I think they very much don't. That, yeah. like, that, that kind of adds to the to the sense of uh, of, uh, of being on a bit of a journey with it. So I think that's good news. Yeah, definitely. Um, in in other interesting news, which I think might be good, uh, Matthew Vaughan is apparently uh, being sought after to direct the still bubbling Man of Steel sequel. So that how do you what do we think of this? I think he'd be a good fit. Mm. I don't think he'd do it. Okay. I but I fully expect to be proved wrong when <laughs> seconds after this podcast goes up, Variety break a story going Matthew Fawn to direct Man of Steel two. Just to spite Chris. Just to spite me. I, I you know, I, I, I as far as I'm aware, Superman the movie, the Richard Donner original means a lot to, to Fawn, but you know, and certainly that franchise needs a director with a clear vision. But yeah. whether or not that would that would happen, I don't really know. Uh, but I think I think he'd be a good fit for that. He but certainly likes Superman, which is a bonus for a he director likes of a Man of Steel movie. I just get the impression that he's maybe done doing other people's franchises. Possible. Yeah. Uh, and but who knows? Who knows? But there, there's there, there's so much news to talk about this week. We haven't even mentioned uh, the girl in the spider's web, which is uh, Sony's reboot of the Lisbeth Salander Mikhail Blomqvist uh, saga but they're jettisoning David Fincher or David Fincher's not coming back uh, neither is Rooney Mara neither is Daniel Craig with his incredible way of wearing his glasses hmm. and so they're going to start from scratch but not really because they're skipping to the fourth book which was not written by Stig Larsson who wrote the, the first three uh, what do we make of this one? I haven't read the fourth book yet have you? nor have I okay, I, so. I read the first three and I... I kind of had I don't know. It's like I haven't read any of the Bourne movies, uh, novels Mm. written by uh, Eric von Lustbader. So, I don't know. I just feel... Books are kind of weird. (laughs) They are, aren't they? We've been talking... They're weird and they don't move and it's... uh, You have to use your eyes. But we've been talking a little bit about, you know, the idea of legacy and can you take someone else's work. I find it icky when someone takes over a series written by another novelist. Does that feel... That just feels weird to me. It, it can do. I tried to read the um, one of the Jeeves and Worcester books written after P.G. Woodhouse quite written recently. By, written by Sean Hudson. Uh, yeah, there was a, an extraordinary amount of gore and sex in that one. <laughs> no, different different one. But, oh, okay. Um, but it just felt like... It just didn't feel right. It felt... Who wrote Jeeves and Worcester after P.G. Woodhouse? Um, I think it was a Sebastian Fox. And just See, he's done a Bond novel as he well. He has, I know. And, and the thing is, like, he writes his own 
very good book. So yeah. I'm not, but I think maybe this is his way of paying tribute to people that he really loves because P.G. Woodhouse is a great, great writer, but just he couldn't quite, for me anyway, get the voice. Um, mm-hmm. P.G. Woodhouse has such a specific way of using language and it's so beautiful. His language is just off the charts. Um, and and yeah, he couldn't he couldn't get it. It felt, it felt wrong. Bad. Lots of people have done it with Ian Fleming's Bond books, obviously. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this is a little different because it was very much specific to to Steve Larson. But yeah. it's a strange one because, in a sense, it feels like this, this died out a long time ago. This idea, I quite like the David Fincher one. Um, but and you think if they were going to make a sequel, they would have done it then. But it didn't probably make enough money. But maybe now they're looking around, going, actually, this character Elizabeth Sounder is is she feels very sort of zeitgeisty again maybe that kind of edgy mm. hacker oh, I mean maybe. the hacking is everywhere maybe they think that there's an interesting play on it I, it doesn't excite me at this point but no. who knows also it's Fede Alvarez the director and yeah, I, I liked his Evil Dead remake mm, me too I liked Don't Breathe mm-hmm. but he's no David Fincher so but, then, but then maybe you didn't need David Fincher for that story because David Fincher made a very expensive film mm-hmm. relatively speaking which mm-hmm. is why it didn't make enough of a profit for the second and third ones to happen yeah, maybe. and maybe it just didn't need to be you know the 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 Swedish version which I'm sure was made for a fraction of the budget uh, was a better film <gasps> uh, that's right I went there it was no it was uh, I'm sorry that's, that is not that is not true it is 100% yeah, true I couldn't make it through the first that, that, that and, first one uh, and yeah and, and so maybe this is maybe I, this is the way to go I think you're both wrong you are the both, both films wrong. were equally good. Yes. Oh my goodness. Exactly as good as each other. Yeah. Did it, man. All right. Maybe. Maybe. Um, you remember when we had Christopher McQuarrie on the live podcast recently? And he was talking about the change in Hollywood. I'll never forget it. My, it's a special day. Uh, talking about more, cr- more kind of R-rated type yes. things happening in Hollywood. Yes. This is something that could be cranked up to that level and this yeah. is a director who's done that before so maybe this is one of those sorts of things and I think you're going to see more and more of those sorts of adult style properties I just yeah. feel like the yeah. the noir the Nordic noir thing seems to have sort of fizzled out and, and that was the wave that carried the the the, uh, the Fincher film in the first place and obviously the original trilogy Yeah. Um, but who knows who knows we shall see we shall see and there'll be a, a, a huge casting call now to find Lisbeth Salander um no one seems that bothered about casting Mikhail Blomkvist. Almost like, almost as if they've already found their slightly overweight, bespectacled journalist. <laughs> but who could, could it be, Chris? Who could it possibly be? Is it me? I Chris, can't confirm Chris, or deny. Your, your glasses have fallen off. They're just yes. dangling from just, one ear. Oh, my word. I've just got an email from a hacker, guys. Sorry, you just talk amongst yourselves while I deal with this. Uh, the hackers just told me that Suicide Squad 2 has enlisted the screenwriter, which is a step up from Suicide Squad 1. Oh, um, Burn! Um, Adam Kosad, who has written The Legend of Tarzan and Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit, or contributed at least to those screenplays, or contributed is probably the wrong word. Anyway, uh, he's going to write the screen, screenplay for this. Wow, Legend yeah. of Tarzan, huh? That's good. Hmm. I know, Jack Ryan's Shadow Recruit. Hmm. It's a, certainly, it's an interesting CV. Yes. We'll give you another I shot. Didn't, I didn't hate Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. It was fine. No, I didn't hate Jack Ryan Shadow Recruit. It was, you know, but it's not great. It's know the sum of all fears. No, that's true. And that's saying something. But I like the sum of all fears. I just like Jack I Ryan. Like I like the think. sum of all... Oh, wait a minute. I'm really confusing myself here. <laughs> I want to make a point about how this is a bad thing, but I actually quite like Jack Ryan. Jack Ryan's great. Yeah. 
apart from when he got into into the presidency and his first big thing was let's cut taxes so that didn't work out so well but apart from that he was fantastic <laughs> mm. Anywho, I don't know Suicide Squad 2 <laughs> <laughs> thanks Phil my pleasure next story next story Ridley Scott uh, mm. is making a new movie and I this is not really that relevant but I had a dream about going to his house for lunch the other night which was actually quite cool um, <laughs> one would imagine I don't yeah in a nice house um, anyway he's making a movie uh, that is called All the Money in the World um, and he's obviously a guy with a lot on his plate and this one is going to be first cab off the rank after um, I guess after Alien Covenant yeah which is weird because literally a few weeks ago he was talking about the cartel being his next film yeah like not really not very long ago but then he's he's one of those directors who attaches himself limpid like to so many projects he does well apparently um, what it was was he had a two year gap nearly between making Alien and Blade Runner um, because he didn't have something immediately ready to go and it basically scarred him for life and he's been he's been working to avoid that kind of delay ever since um, so, so the story, yeah. is uh, it's a member of the 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 the, the sign of the incredibly mega rich Getty dynasty. Yes, um, back in the few member around in the seventies, um, that uh, that Paul Getty uh, was uh, kidnapped and uh, basically ransomed whilst being chained in a cave for six months. Uh, they demanded seventeen million dollars of his uh, very wealthy grandfather, John Paul Getty. Um, unfortunately, John Paul Getty was like, "You can keep him." <laughs> so um, there was something of a something of a kind of a disconnect there, um, yeah. which I imagine gives the film plenty of. Um, it's probably the opposite of ransom, I suppose. <laughs> it's um, exactly Mel, that. Mel Gibson wants to get his, you know, get his kid back, but John Paul Getty doesn't seem that phased. Um, anyway, you you may or may not know the the true life story. Um, that is what we'll find out if you don't. Yeah, and apparently he's uh, talking to either Angelina Jolie or Natalie Portman to play uh, Paul's mother, Gail Harris. Um, Natalie Portman seems awfully young to be playing the mother of a 17-year-old. I know she's technically old enough to be the mother of a 17-year-old, but she seems mm-hmm. kind of yeah. young for that. Anyway, but fine, whatever. Uh, so they are potentially in the mix for that so that's exciting that is exciting and um, of course he has Alien Covenant out in just a couple of months doesn't sound like a Ridley Scott sort of film just on the, at a very superficial level I'm a superficial what, guy what does so he's, he, he's, he's a man done who different things yeah I know from pillar to post yeah he's done two sci-fi in a row now so you can see why he'd want to do something different three yeah. sci-fi in a row really no two Ignore I'm going to say this and I'm going to be so wrong but oh God. in terms of just doing true life type stories on this scale done that many has he um, what's this closest to the counsellor in his recent past yeah feels a bit cancery anyway I'm just throwing that out there okay well we, shall, we shall see we shall see uh, let's talk about skyscraper shall we oh yeah okay I guess so uh, what is it Chris? Dwayne The Rock Johnson yesterday Instagrammed on Instagram uh, a confirmation that Universal Pictures have announced a release date. I'm going to read out his Instagram because this might, you know, then you can yeah, fill in that. your own comments. Grateful to share this big news, says Dwayne. Universal Studios and Legendary Pictures have declared July 13th, unlucky for some, unlucky for everyone from the sounds of things, uh, 2018 Skyscraper Weekend. Massive scale of a movie we've been de- developing for almost two years. We start shooting this August in China. Our script... Uh, written and to be directed by Ross and Marshall Thurber, focuses on the world's largest skyscraper. That's on fire! A towering inferno almost a mile into the sky, and my wife and kids are trapped in the top floor. Yep. 
So it is the Towering Inferno. Yeah. Uh, yeah good thing I'm not afraid of heights, he says, but at 4,000 feet, it's a different story. Let's get to work. This character is a homage to the everyday man and woman who, despite all odds, will dig deep and do everything possible to protect and save their family. Now, we love The Rock on this podcast. We do. We, we really love do. him. We worship him. We think he's an awesome guy. This could not sound any more generic if it tried. This is basically three-star the movie coming at you July 13th, 2018. Uh, it is an amalgam of Towering Inferno and San Andreas and every hackneyed idea that you've ever seen rolling up the blockbuster pike. But those Save three us. stars are on fire. Those and three stars are on fire the and they're top. a mile high. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It just sounds... I've seen this movie already. I don't need to see it. I don't actually need to see it made. I know what this movie's going to be. I know every every plot twist and every everything that's going to happen in this movie. The only thing that possibly could save it is the idea of spectacle. Yeah. I mean, The Rock... You know, The Rock can battle most things, but can he really battle fire and height? Yes. I don't know. Yes, of course. What do you think? I mean, I just... I, I'm slightly dismayed by this. I, I it's, It doesn't oh. fill me with with cheer but at the same time every day is Christmas Eve every day is Christmas Eve but no but at the same time you've got to trust that there's something more fun in this than it maybe sounds immediately and that maybe it'll be Ross Marshall Thurber's done some funny films yeah but this sounds to me like they're, they're, they're taking it seriously yes it does but maybe they're not entirely or or maybe mm. they are taking the action seriously but there's going to be some clever dialogue I mean you know mm. movies and skyscrapers can be great yes think of Die Hard oh I was going to say yes that's that's a good one that so. is a good one uh, I don't know I, I don't mean to be down on Dwayne I, I think he's really, awesome really you don't he's enormous he's massive uh, if he ever yeah. fills his pod booth he'll smite my face with his colossal fist but I just There'll be a lot of smiting going on. But I just, I, I just wish that he hooked up a better directors and maybe hooked his wagon to a hitched his wagon to a better project. St. Patrick, mm. for example, snakes on a wagon, snakes on a wagon, St. Patrick colon snakes on a wagon. First of a six-part franchise starring Dwayne, The Rock Johnson, the Shamrock Johnson. <gasps> this is See what I'm doing? See what I'm doing? That's good. As St. Patrick, no, Chris O'Dowd as St. Patrick. No. Okay, Dwayne so- the Shamrock Johnson is Irish Pete. Hashtag boots to asps. Joe, <laughs> <laughs> let's get that done. That sounds like the sort of film we can right. really get excited about. Phil has just sold me on it. See how we've just saved this? Wow, we've just saved the day. We've saved St. Patrick's Day. Amazing. Yeah, and we already know from um, his involvement in the G.I. Joe franchise that he has... A history with Cobra. I've never really watched Big Bang Theory and I really couldn't care less. So I'm okay. not going to talk about this one, but I'll just tee you up because I know that you know more about it, that there's going to be a young Sheldon story. Yeah, and it's gone mm. straight to series, right? It was going to be a pilot and they basically took one look at it and went, we need this forever. I'm I'm not sure that we necessarily I we need it. do. No. Uh, I, think, I think, look, Sheldon is, is a character who's, you know, a very very good character and is the main reason let's be honest why anyone watches that show um, but I think a lot of that is down to the performance and I'm not sure I think you're you're dissing Stuart in the comic book store who's a great character that a, lot people, <laughs> a lot of people have tuned in for specifically, specifically. the actor who plays Stuart <laughs> and his immediate family oh bless um, but it is I mean look The Big Bang Theory is a huge hit on US TV so I get why they're looking for spin-off ideas and it could be very funny a young Sheldon you know he keeps saying that his mother got him checked out 
So that could be, there, there's all sorts of backstory there to <laughs> play with, I suppose, but I'm not sure anybody needs it. Um, hey, yeah. maybe it'll be fun. There's a whole lot of like 80s and 90s sets yeah. uh, growing up stories on TV at the moment. So maybe it feels to me it's going to be very, very different from Big Bang Theory. John oh, Favreau's be, directing yeah. the pilot. It's going to be a single camera sitcom, yeah. no laugh track. So that's interesting. They want us to say it's not a laugh track. It's filmed in front of the studio Of course, audience. yes, sorry. Uh, it won't be filmed in front of any studio audience, live or otherwise. But that's interesting to me. And also, you get the sense that Sheldon's upbringing might have been tinged with tragedy in some way. So... Okay. You know, or at least have elements of sadness. The reason I was laughing as you were recounting that was because I've read further the story of Skyscraper. So uh, Dwayne Johnson is team leader and US veteran Will Ford, who now assesses security for skyscrapers. Of course he does. Like, that's... No one's called Will Ford. On, a, uh, on assignment in China, he finds the tallest, safest, safest building in the world suddenly ablaze, and he's been framed for it. A, no. wanted, a wanted man on the run, Will must now find those responsible, clear his name, and somehow rescue his family who are trapped inside the building. Above the fire line. Right. Okay. Oh. oh. Well, you know. Well. Three stars is a recommendation. And then one of the last things to talk about this week in terms of movie news, we mentioned it right at the beginning, is that the three Empire Awards take place this Sunday, March 19th, just two days after St. Patrick's Day, uh, at a top London location. I think Terry already said at the Roundhouse in Camden. Very exciting. What crazy big celebs have we got hosting this year, Chris? Uh, we have no crazy big celebs. They all said no. Uh, so I'm doing it with Terry. Amazing. Yeah. So it's it's us hosting and uh, it's it's going to be very, very exciting. And the crazy big celebs sitting in the audience judging you, just sitting, staring at you, looking at you on the stage as you try to say things like words in order that make sense and they sit and watch you and you try to make them laugh. Is it true that Zach Penn has written your whole script? It is. He's punched it up. He took a look at it. He took a look at my original script and he said, this is not funny enough. It needs more jokes. Yeah, no, I'm slightly concerned about that, I, I, I must say. But, you know, I've hosted it before, so I think... You'll be fine. Hopefully it'll be okay. We're not doing jokes, per se. It's not a... Um, it's not a... A Kimmel-esque monologue. There's, we're actually doing something a little bit more involved, which I'm a little bit concerned it's gonna about. It's going to be fine. It's going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. Yeah. We'll, we'll, be, we'll be bringing you the whole thing on the website, on Facebook mm-hmm. Live, yep. um, which, God help me, I'm supposed to be hosting. Yes, and, so uh, that's our streaming interviews. Yes. I might pop in at the beginning just to say hello, just to, Fantastic. You know, just to appear behind you. I'll start with the big names, yeah. Yeah, be like personal shopper. You'll be like, you know, be like something behind you. <gasps> and you'll go, oh my God, it's horrible. Oh no, it's Chris. Oh, it's even worse. Uh, that'll be fun. It'll be good. So uh, are you prepared? No, don't be ridiculous. Okay. I don't even know what I'm wearing. I know what shoes I'm wearing. Apart from that, nothing. We won't see the shoes. They're I don't care. Shot. I'm, they're okay. great shoes. My, my, my suit's ready. Amazing. My script is ready. Really? No. Okay. Actually, it's not because people, you know, yeah, things gonna, change. You're going to be loose. Yeah. It's got to be in flux. got to be in flux. If you want to know everything about the Empire Awards, the winners, see the pictures of people on the red carpet, uh, and check out Helen interviewing people uh, on the live stream oh God. which I think on Facebook Live yeah. uh, and then check out EmpireOnline.com check our Twitter feed check our Facebook it's all going to be very very exciting lots of big names in the room and of course you can see someone live tweeting me as I die on my arse that's going to be fun but there we go the three Empire Awards this Sunday very very exciting stuff uh, and speaking of three uh, they are of course the sponsors of the awards and the sponsors of this week's podcast and it's, yeah, it's time for a quick word 
about what they can offer you. Because with three, you can use your phone abroad at no extra cost, whether you're on paying monthly advanced plans or pay as you go. No matter if you're using a tablet, a phone or a dongle. Still don't know what a dongle is. I googled a dongle, but it just, I, I have no idea. What is it? It's a thing you plug into your computer so you can use. Oh, like a mouse? No. But like a keyboard? No, like a dongle. You don't know what it is either, do you? Yeah, you plug it in to get Wi-Fi. That's a router. No, but if you don't have your router. Ah, now I understand. Anyway, so Feel at Home works automatically. Uh, you'll receive a text message telling you that you're in a Feel at Home destination when you arrive. And then you can use your phone worry-free. And coincidentally, Helen, I think we both used this to save me a lot of money over the last, yeah. <laughs> for the last few months. Um uh, and of course they tell you when you get back to the UK as well just how much you've saved which is quite a few cocktails in the beach non-alcoholic cocktails of course see in St Paddy's Day in style uh, so there we go that is a word about our sponsors three uh, let's move on now that's enough of the movie news uh, let's have a second guest shall we? let's definitely let's have a second guest uh, this is a man who has appeared once before on the Emperor podcast for his role in the guest for which we anointed him Empire's spirit animal uh, since then he has built something of, a, of an excellent career post Downton Abbey post the guest he can of course as Phil said be seen in Legion right now which has just been renewed for his second season and he will of course be seen as of today as the beast in Beauty and the Beast Beauty and the Beast Beauty and the Beast Taylor's all that time he is of course the fantastic Dan Stevens uh, who beat off many American men to talk to Phil Dissemlian and Nick Dissemlian in the pod booth just today as a matter of fact enjoy we're delighted to be joined back on the Empire Podcast by Dan Stevens for a Hello. second time. Second Welcome time. Back, sir. Very nice to have you Very back. Very nice to be we back. We had you talking about the guest before. You did. This time, Beauty and the Beast, in which you play, obviously, the Beast. Can we start with something of a tabloid, uh, or at least newspaper story, that's been breaking lately? Four roast dinners a day. <laughs> uh, actually, it roast dinner gate. Um, actually, it was actually more like five just to put the story into context for our listeners very quickly. Yeah. You sweated a lot. You burned a lot of calories. And to make up for that... You because, I was, should add, yes. <laughs> I was in a massive muscle suit. Not just in like a sweaty <laughs> yeah, Exactly. That sounds a bit odd out of context. You were just really sweaty, I mean, so you had to eat that. a lot of meat. And, um, <laughs> tracking backwards, I had to... Well, first of all, I had to kind of condition my body to carry this muscle suit on stilts and puppeteer the beast mm. on the set. But I was also trying to work out for the for the big reveal at the end of the movie, you know, when he yeah. t- turns back into the prince. Five roast dinners, and is that just the meat or is that veg and Yorkshire pudding? And- yeah, meat, potatoes. Condiments. If you like. Those were kept to a minimum. Like, you couldn't cover everything in Grams. sriracha. Did you have your bit, Did um, you have your own carvery? <laughs> I should have done. Yeah, yeah. smokehouse out the back. <laughs> uh, Stephen's smokehouse. Um... No, it was yeah, it was a it was a lot. It's a program that you go on basically. You just you're just working out a lot and eating a lot, and this food just arrives and you eat it. And on set, it just comes every three hours, full proteinous meal. Amazing, yeah. And you had a lot of chicken for the guest. I remember you I talk, did, we talked yeah. about meat on the last yeah. podcast. Every every well. sort of three or four years, I like to just <laughs> eat an inordinate amount of protein. And then what basically happens is I go vegan for about seven months. And then I sort of recalibrate slowly. Yeah. Um, it's quite weird. People will ask you, do you have a sort of a plan for your career going forward? And you'll be like, yeah, 2019, I want to do a lot of beef. But, yeah, I'm just going to mainly pork. It's my, my tofu year. Um, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, why not? We talked last time you were on as well. We, we, t- we sort of broke the news to you that your abs have their own Twitter account. <laughs> but we, ju- we did check this morning and, and the Twitter account is no longer active. So I don't know if you got that shut down. My abs are no longer active. <laughs> but there is now a muscle vest account. It's exactly. <laughs> very, very active. 
<laughs> there's the yeah. Uh, there's probably some part of the beast's anatomy that has its own Twitter account. Right. I'll leave that to your exploration. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, the muscle, the muscle suit, muscle vest. Well, it was a muscle suit. I mean, it was like a thick you know, it was sort of built up thing so that when there was contact between myself and Emma, it was for the purposes of the CGI stuff that it was the right depth of flesh, I suppose. Occasionally when I was not in a scene with Emma and I was just interacting with the household staff, I could wear a trimmed down version, but I was still on the stilts and it was still a workout. And you had this amazing read-through um, before you started shooting. I guess you weren't wearing the stilts there to get people used to it. wasn't quite then, um, although we were working on them even then and learning the waltz and everything. But it was way more than a read-through. Ian McKellen actually wrote a really lovely blog post. I didn't even know Ian McKellen kept a blog until this day, but it was just a really beautiful account of the day. It was a bit like being at a Broadway run-through or something. Like They put the Gaston song on its feet and Luke Evans is up on the table. I mean, it doesn't take a lot to get Luke Evans up and singing, frankly, but it was awesome. And Emma Thompson sang Beauty and the Beast. It was all there. And they filmed quite a lot of it, I think, as well. Was that nerve-wracking? Yeah, it was terrifying. Yeah, because a read-through is... I mean, it's just to sort of hear it out and get a chance to sort of get those ideas in play, really. It's a lot for the execs to hear the script out loud and hear what needs to be done and that kind of thing. So, yeah, and and the Beast voice was a work in progress at that stage. It was sort of there, but it was definitely sort of three months from being finished. Welsh or... Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah. Scottish Beast, yeah, French Beast, I don't know. Well, Ewan McGregor did say that he was worried there was some Mexican inflection in his his character. Yeah, I mean, don't be worried about that. Did you do your own roars at the read-through? You do a very nice roar... Not a spoiler, but, but near Thank you. the third yeah. act, you do a lovely roar. Yeah, that probably was a bit enhanced for the film, I think. Um, that's probably the thing that's, that's enhanced the most. That was one of the first things I had to do, actually, was wrestle some CGI wolves, which were essentially kind of green rubber dogs. <laughs> and yeah, you just kind of throw yourself into that. There's footage online of Hugh Jackman for Logan. He's watching a screen. He's on like some kind of treadmill, and it's an action scene, and he's doing all the grunts and all that stuff. So I, I saw that, see. doing his ADR. Yeah, yeah. so awesome. you had to do something similar. Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of that. Yeah, lots of beastly grunts and growls and things. Yeah, there's probably some recordings out there. <laughs> I've just written down here, the beast face, do the kids love it? I the, be- mean, the beast face? Yeah, I've seen, I mean, I've seen you doing some of the press for this on TV. It's more with the mouth, right. I think. They made me these incredible fangs, these prosthetic fangs that really look like they fitted. They look like I was born with them. Like, mm. They don't look like I'm wearing kind of joke shop teeth. They were like beautiful creations by a sort of dental expert. And I didn't end up wearing them for the facial capture, but I wanted to know how it would affect the face. But I also took them home and obviously freaked the kids out with them as far as I could. It was a bit of a workshop because I wanted to sort of, I didn't want them to be utterly terrified because I thought if I wear these in such mm. a way and if I have his mouth in such a way that kids are going to watch this and just think, oh my God, that's yeah. the most terrifying thing. Like I needed them to sort of come round to it. So initially they were a bit scared, but actually my daughter, she kind of likes weird stuff and she was kind of fascinated by them and I started hiding them. I was like, I'm not going to, sh- I'm not showing my teeth. And she's like, please show us the teeth. And I was like, no, no I'm not, I'm not going to show you. I'm not going to show you. And I would like hide them. And, th- and then we would sort of play this game. And she was like, it's okay, you can smile. It's okay. They're not that bad. And so finding that kind of sweetness in the beast that kids could relate to, as well as them being terrifying and roaring and all the rest, it's got to have both those elements because it's a family film. And that's kind of what makes great family films is that you've got a few thrills and you want the kids to be a little bit scared and the woods are a bit scary and the wolves are a bit scary. But ultimately, everybody's got to fall in love with this guy. Belle's got to fall in love with this guy and he's got to be a bit cuddly. sweet. Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. So that was quite fun. And you've been on this amazing promotional tour all over the shop. Yeah. Now, you met Celine Dion at some point. (laughs) Have you you had an experience that was better than, or more surreal than meeting Celine Dion? It's definitely the weirdest way I have watched this movie was she she sat directly in front of me at the Hollywood premiere, like literally the seat in front of me. And so my wife and I, we sat in our seats. I'm like, Celine Dion. And I spent the entire screening just watching Celine Dion watch the movie. So I wasn't really watching the film. I was just kind of watching... (laughs) 
the reactions and little nods and things. I'll, I'll never quite see the film that way ever again, I don't think, unless she wants to come over and sit at my house and watch it in front of me, <laughs> which would be odd. You now have to have Celine Dion sitting just in yeah, front of you. you whenever you sit there, that's film. the Celine chair. Yeah, <laughs> every viewing. But that, you went to Japan? and you I haven't been to Japan. We've been, been to, Japan. to Paris, Shanghai, LA, Mexico City, New York, and back here. So it literally, wow. yeah, since the London premiere, I've done the full lap. And which country's got the most hardcore Beauty and the Beast fans? Do you get Ooh. people cosplaying and... I mean, I think they're, they're sort of all over the world, really. The love for this film and this fairy tale seems to be pretty universal. Shanghai was great. Like, I'd never been to China, and that was a really... It was an exciting kind of first big premiere that we did was out there. That was a special night. Now, you're renowned for being a voracious reader. Oh, God. Whose library is bigger out of yours than the beasts? I mean, you were, the, you were on the shortlist. You were on the, the judging panel. I was, there, yeah. And it, the felt, man book it felt books. like about as many books as the beasts. How many has. was it? Uh, for the man booker? Yeah. 147 in seven months. That's, to me, that's... Yeah, I basically read nothing since. I, I sort right. of blew a gasket in my brain. That's yeah. not quite true. But I, I don't know if I'll ever read that many books. So you again. were on set reading and... Yeah, we were still shooting... I was making Summer in February and Downton Series 3 while doing that. There was a lot, there was a lot of reading going on, yeah. Did you have um, several on the go at the same time? Because that just seems like too many. No, I generally read one after the other, but they come in sort of numbered order. They come in boxes. Right. And so over the seven months, and you get through one box and you think, oh, I'm doing really well, I'm doing really well. And then another box of 30 books arrive and you have a, a small heart attack and just quietly cry and then just get on with them, you know. Yeah. Good news, Dan. There is a short, short batch. Yes, exactly. It's mainly. Yeah, exactly. For that, right? Yeah, I'll judge a, a poetry prize next or something. Yeah, and you're uh, you're going to be playing Charles Dickens, or you've already filmed that? Yeah, we shot that in Dublin over the New Year. Yeah, Man Who Invented Christmas, and yeah, lovely film. Kind of again, sort of magical realist tale about quite an interesting period in his life. It's specifically the time running up to writing a Christmas Carol, and. I was really taken by the script, it, just in the way that it treated, you know, a weighty historical figure that we're all yeah. certainly here taught to kind of revere and, you know, the sort of dusty old tomes, ah, oh, Charles Dickens. And I thought, well, that's such a boring way of looking at people in general, is to kind of put them on a pedestal. And, and, and actually, when you start to look at people's stories, whoever they are, whether they're creative geniuses or whatever, like, there's very human elements and very funny elements and kind of, it just struck me as a different take on the whole sort of literary biopic thing. And he drove himself a bit mad. He, he gave himself this impossible deadline, was sort of filled with these, you know, satirical, you know, creative ideas, commentary on the, you know, the world around him that he was seeing. And he really did have one of those incredible sort of panoramic views of society. And, you know, whilst also being quite aspirational, he had four kids, one on the way. There's a lot of pressure there. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he'd, you know, become quite a big hit in, in the States, but hadn't quite nailed the sort of timeless... Thing that he was really looking for and he was also weirdly into fairy tales which I hadn't quite grasped like he wrote a lot of quite weird almost psychedelic short stories before he was really known as a, as a novelist he wrote you know, these weird little tales that where he was just trying out ideas you can you can sort of see he's sketching things like there's I can't remember what it's called it's something called like the goblin and the fairy and it's like about a, you know and it, it's a kind of sketch of Scrooge like this sort of weird evil creature that overnight has a sort of magical revelation and so it was just cool to kind of, you know, having not really read a lot of Dickens in, in, since college, I suppose, just to kind of, you know, I've always been fond of him and always loved his take on things, you know, to revisit a character like that and sort of see him as a, as a man and not a sort of monolith was yeah. quite fun. We had a lot of fun with it. How important a research 
sort of preparation document was Muppets Christmas Carol. Massively. That one. Massively. It's one of my favourite films of all time. Is it's it really? an absolute institution in my household. We literally, based on a very, very good friend of mine whose father insists that the family sit down and watch it every Christmas Eve, we now do the same thing. I think it's a brilliant treatment of that tale. I absolutely I adore it. In fact, my friend, said friend, uh, had a Christmas wedding not that long ago, okay. and the outward processional song yeah. was uh, with a thankful heart. And the whole, <laughs> the whole congregation Amazing. sang that. It was awesome. It was beautiful. Always get a bit weepy watching that. I get a bit weepy just thinking about <laughs> that wedding. Yeah. <laughs> Obviously, Gonzo played Dickens in that, so... Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. There's a lot of Gonzo in my performance, I like to think. Um, no, but it's great, you know, but that's exactly it. It's like why, you know, everybody knows that tale. It's such a part of our kind of cultural fabric, especially at that time of year. Yeah. Why give it the same treatment every time? And, you know, it's, I think... Muppets Christmas Carol is actually very respectful of the original whilst also being playing a bit fast and loose. So, yeah, I think it's, it's important to have fun with these things. Otherwise, they, you know, they die. We've got to get you onto Apostle very quickly. Oh, God. We're excited about that. We, we, very. we obviously love the raid. Um, yeah, the raid and fan. the raid can, 2, Redemption. I love, I love yeah. any, any sequel with a colon. It's, colon yeah, yeah, yeah. So this is Gareth Evans' new... Gareth Evans' It is. It's his new film. He hasn't done much, you know, for, for a few years. He's been sort of bubbling away working on some incredible things. Apostle is one of them. And it's his first British movie. He's like, I love talking about him really as much as the, as the movie. About to go into that in a couple of weeks. But, um, you know, he's, he's a Welsh, Indonesian, Kung Fu horror director. Like, yeah. How many of those are there? One. Right. <laughs> he's, not, he's not Indonesian, I should add. But he From directed, yeah, yes. he, he married an Indonesian girl and, and, yeah, spent a lot of time out there. And so he took his... DP, who we met in, in film school, out to Indonesia. And they just made these beautiful films using what was available to them, which was mm. awesome Indonesian actors who could do it all. I mean, they're like, they're sort of like ninja monks, these actors yeah. out there. They're incredible. And is this, I mean, is this uh, Raid-esque in any way? Or is it a complete... <laughs> no, project? I keep teasing Gareth that I'm going to try and work in some, some Kung Fu. He's like, to kill at least 400 please, people. Can I just make one film that's not Kung Fu? And... Uh, <laughs> I'm like, but you know, this character spent a bit of time in China. Wouldn't he know some moves? And anyway, it's not, it's not a Kung Fu film, sadly. I mean, I hope to make a Kung Fu film with him. Yeah. That's a tongue twister, isn't it? Um, one day, but this is not, this is not it. No, this is a real sort of, it's a dark thriller set on a religious cult on an island in 1905. Yeah. And it's about, yeah, it's a man who's, who's going to rescue his sister. I'm guessing this is a non-meaty one. It's a non-meaty film. A non-meaty film, yeah. I, I won't need to be quite as beastly. Just a bit of pate. <laughs> um, we have to ask you finally, as a final thing, Legion, yeah. congratulations. Second, Thank you second very season. much. Yeah, second news, series. news came um, out, uh, yeah, very recently. And that very... show seems to have really captured people's imagination, if that's yeah, not Yeah, I mean, that's really that's sort of what it's about, really. It's about... Yeah. Um, yeah, capturing imaginations, really. It's a very imaginative show, and I love it. I'm very fond of it. I had a great time making season one, and it's a, it's a great team, and I'm just thrilled with how people have embraced it, really. It's cool. People have sort of mentioned Wes Anderson. Uh, did that come up when you were filming? His, yeah. The idea yeah. of, sort of this Wes Anderson superhero. It's interesting. Yeah, people have, people have picked up on that. I think it's just it's directors with a singular aesthetic style. Like, so, you know, Wes Anderson, it's very Kubricky. Kubrick-esque, Kubrickian. Kubrick. I like Kubricky. Empire listeners, you choose. Um, yeah, Kubricky. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's got it's got all sorts of influence. It's got a bit of British New Wave in there. Um, you know, Noah's. You know, he's a singular guy, and he he just, you know, a bit like I was saying with the with the Dickens thing. It's like why, 
why make another one of these things in exactly the same way that everything else has been made? Like, let's just make one that's a little bit different. And, you know, it can, it's, it's there if you want it kind of thing. And I, I just, I really like that attitude. And it's like, there's absolutely no reason why a superhero series can't look beautiful. And I think this one does. Dan Stevens, thank you so much. Come back again. Third time you get to take away something with you. This microphone? That's true. We give, we give fur time uh, visitors a uh, uh, price. <laughs> what can I take? There's some water here. There's, yeah. Whatever you like. Thank you. I look forward to it. Really. Thanks very much. It's great to see you guys. Thank you. Okay, that was Dan Stevens. And now let's start by talking about the movie in which Dan Stevens is starring, Beauty and the Beast, in which he plays and the Beast. <laughs> Hell's Bells. Yes. Yeah, Hell's so this Bells. Is... Oh, that's true. She's based on me. What can I say? Um, no, she is not. Uh, this is, the, of course, the live-action remake of the 1991 Oscar-nominated classic, uh, and it is um, very much the same story. So Emma Watson is Belle, who's a bookish, bright woman in uh, 18th century France um, who feels a little bit out of place among the p- other people of her village. Her father is an inventor, played here by Kevin Klein. Um, and uh, when he goes missing one day, she goes in search of him, and uh, it turns out he's been uh, taken... Uh, prisoner essentially for trespassing by a beast an enchanted beast played by Dan Stevens under an enormous layer of CG um, who uh, has been transformed thusly for being uh, a bit of a douche and uh, is is basically cursed to remain so unless he can find someone to fall in true love with him and vice versa so Belle goes in search of her dad one thing leads to another she ends up swapping places and uh, and then the hope is very much uh, on behalf of all the servants working for the beast who have also been turned into household items that she can break the spell. Will she be able to? Who knows? Yes. Uh, who knows? <laughs> Definitely. So that's uh, really? that's the basic setup. It's 100% um, based on the cartoon. It's not really based on any other takes on the material that you may have seen in the past. Um, obviously, all the same songs come back. Some of them are extended uh, slightly altered, obviously re-performed by, by new people. The voice cast is extraordinarily starry. You've got people in there like Emma Thompson, but you McGregor, Ian McKellen, uh, Audra McDonald, lots of mooks. Um, uh, Stanley Tucci, who plays a harpsichord. You know, he's literally like he doesn't play, like he plays a harpsichord, but he also is like it's a whole thing. Um, and uh, so really, really good people. It's just, it does feel sometimes like Beauty and the Beast karaoke which I've done um, but it's it feels very much like you're going through the motions of doing the thing that people already love rather than doing your own thing do you know what I mean yeah um, that was my only issue really with it uh, you know it, it's very beautifully well it's my main issue it's very beautifully done the new songs are gorgeous Alan Menken still got it after all these years really really lovely stuff but it's just uh, it, it does take some getting used to and seeing actually talking teacups and quote-unquote live action is weird it's really weird uh, so it kind of takes you a little bit of time to get your eye in and kind mm. of settle into that i went i, w- I watched the animation again mm. after watching it and um, it does seem to use the animation as a bit of a storyboard at times very much so yeah. like it goes through shot by shot almost which feels a little bit like it, it could be fresher but that said, I went in and I didn't. I didn't expect a lot personally, 
but it really I found it kind of infectious and it's so yeah. polished it's very well done I mean yeah. I'd compare it to the experience of like Into the Woods more than The Jungle Book The Jungle Book felt yeah. like its own very much its own but thing that's it The Jungle Book and Cinderella both felt much more divorced from the animation than I think this one does yes yes this felt more like the the kind of cre- the the world felt more like the world of Into the Woods but I felt mm. like the whole thing just felt much more much had much sort of more of an enchantment to it I, I felt it was quite charming and um, uh, Emma Watson to start with I thought she felt a bit kind of like just a smidge wooden but I thought she got better she, and yeah, better as it went on yeah she did um, so yeah I really liked it I really I liked it a lot and it's not my sort of movie but I just think <laughs> um, you know it was always going to make a ton of money and it's, uh, it's going to be huge because I think the excitement for this is, is yeah, crazy it almost didn't need to be as good as this and I don't mean that in a cynical way I just felt like they really did put heart and soul into it mm. whilst obviously tipping their cap quite heavily to the to the animation and in fairness to the um, to the uh, Bella Labette who can forget of course the classic French um, the classic French Jean Coteau film um, the one thing I wanted to raise though is that the, the question that people have asked is um, it, why does the beast deserve a happy ending and not um, Gaston is it Gaston? Gaston, yeah. Well, Gaston is unrede- is unredeemed, I guess. He, the, the Beast becomes a nicer person, lets her go and all that when he needs to. This is all a spoiler. The point is... Uh, <laughs> I think people, most people have seen I think most people have seen the original. Um, and if they haven't, they probably don't care. Uh, Gaston, by the way, would be my standout of the film. I thought Luke Evans was absolutely terrific in that role. Really, really good. Mm. Um, I mean, he's kind of a pantomime villain, but in the nicest possible way, he's hugely effective in that role. Um, Josh Gad's pretty good as LeFou as yeah, well. Yeah, I liked him too. Um, a lot of fun. And um, and yeah, there's been a lot of talk about this quote unquote gay moment in the film. Disney's first openly gay moment. I mean, blink and you'll miss it. Like it's it's there, but you have to kind it's of not see qu- it. It reminded me a bit of the Star Trek. The Star Trek um, was it Star Trek Into Darkness? Star Trek, Star Star Trek, Trek Beyond. Beyond. The Star Trek Beyond yeah. moment with Sulu. Like it has that. But you, I mean, it's very noticeable. And and there's obviously that sort of thing throughout as a subtext. Yeah. Well, anyway, we talked about it in the interview with um, Bill Condon. Of course. Um, I think it's still noteworthy for a film. Oh, it's definitely, I mean, yeah. The impact that it's had on the film's response in places yeah. around the world yeah. um, is... is is has been dismaying. Dismaying, but also to predictable. And I, I'm yeah. sure Disney would have been aware of that, that yeah. it was going to cost them money. And they did it anyway. I mean, I yeah. think it's a litmus test for Bellendry on a global scale, um, <laughs> should we say, the, the way people have responded to this. But, you know... Um, so bold, I think, in certain areas. That is true, steps. that is true. Um, and uh, we give this four stars. We like four it. stars for beauty and a beast. Tell us all this time. Yeah, that's a recommendation. Uh, so, that's Phil Cat. Yeah, yes, Mange 2, Mange 2. Okay, so let's now stay in France. Mm-hmm. We're going to stay with Personal Shopper, starring Kristen Stewart. Phil. Yes. Tell us about this movie. Sure. What now? That would be good. All right. Um, well, this film is uh, is it's a it's a very niche genre. It's a sort of a psycho psycho thriller horror um, retail therapy movie. I guess you could say. <laughs> oh, another one. Another one of those. Um, Kristen Stewart plays um, Maureen, <laughs> unexpectedly named Maureen, who is a, as the title implies, a personal shopper to a particularly um, uh, aloof. Uh, superstar and she travels around by scooter and picks up her shopping and does all of this but she's grieving the loss of her brother and haunted by something mysterious whether it's the brother or some some other malevolent force Mm. um, we're we're not sure and uh, 
it's Olivier Assayas who worked with Kristen Stewart in Clouds of Sils Maria um, which was very much Juliette Binoche's movie but but uh, Kristen Stewart took um, very glowing notices from that one and, and they've clearly got a good sort of rapport together it's very much her movie um, and she's really really good in it she's she, she, she carries this kind of brittle um, brittle emotional kind of state with her and everything even when she's just doing her kind of day-to-day interactions um and the film sits on her shoulder and she carries it i think really beautifully but Osiris creates this weird haunted mood and because it's not a straight horror and it's not it's an art house movie obviously but it's Mm. got bits of different things in it um some of it's just a sort of a straight parisian character drama Mm. and then you have moments of real haunted house weirdness um, yeah. you're never quite sure where you are with it which, which no which yeah. I think if you'll probably want to watch in a cinema where, where the mood kind of can envelop you because it's a very moody film um, and it's one of those ones I guess like It Follows which is a more conventional horror movie um, things happening in, in strange parts of the frame um, and uh, but but like I say Kristen Stewart is very much front and centre somebody tweeted that there was probably going to have to be some form of legislation that this would be the last film where people pointed out on Twitter that Kristen Stewart can act as opposed to just being you know the girl from Twilight etc um, and she, I think we have passed that point and she's also in Certain Women which is um, uh, Kelly Reichardt's movie which is out at the moment as well and um, she's great in that too and she's showing that she's got she's got some range Mm-hmm. Um, and she's got some skills. And this film we've given three stars to, which is a recommendation. I think some people have gone much higher. Yep. Some people have gone lower. It's one of those ones that... It's like Bruce Forsyth's It's reviews. like higher than an eight. It's a nine. <laughs> higher than a three. Higher than a three. It's a recommendation. American listeners are going, what the hell just happened? All listeners. All listeners. All are listeners just, are saying that. Yeah. Um, our reviews described it as a Hitchcockian poltergeist with a little, a little bit of single white female chucked in, um, which kind of is quite a broad, you know, dartboard of, of, of. But if you were barrows. going to a personal shopper, you might request that. Yeah. You might be going there because you don't want to just go for something that's off the off oh, the peg, off the do rack. you? Yeah. yeah. So you want to go with something that's a little bit more bespoke. bespoke. I knew you could And you go. <laughs> I want something that's a little bit like a Hitchcockian poltergeist with a with a hint of single white female, and then they'd run off in black. Yeah, in black, and they'd run <laughs> off, mm-hmm. and then they'd hear some rustling. You're about to do a John Inman impression, aren't you? I can tell. No, oh good. Right. I am now. <laughs> uh, anyway, so we've given that one three stars, and uh, I think some people will like it more, and possibly some people will like it less. Okay. Helen, who is currently writing a review as we do the podcast because we're, we're a little bit tight for time today. Uh, you could talk about this week's other film, which is Get Out. Get Out. Get Out. Get Out. Um, this is uh, bloody terrific. Let me just say that first and foremost. So this is the... Sorry for swearing, everybody. That's fine. Earmuffs. Um, this is the directing debut of Jordan Peele, um, obviously half of Key and Peele, who did brilliant and inspired satire for years on TV and certainly he's brought some of that brilliance into his film career. I mean, you would not think for a second this was a debut director. He, he's in, incredibly competent, straight, uh, confident also straight <laughs> out of the gate. Both, both. Competent. Everything's in focus. <laughs> nothing falls over. <laughs> so, uh, the focus of our story is Chris, not you Chris, another one, oh, hey. uh, pl- who's played by uh, Daniel Kaluuya and he is... Uh, a photographer uh, seems to be doing okay for himself. He is dating Alison Williams, um, and she invites him home to meet the folks. Uh, her name is Rose, by the way. Uh, she and he's a bit concerned because she hasn't told them he's black, 
and he's worried that there could be some awkwardness. She assures him her family are not racist. They're super liberal. Everything's going to be absolutely fine. Mm -hmm. Um, Go home to meet Kathleen Keener and Bradley Whitford, who are her parents. And indeed, everything is super liberal. They greet him with a hug. Couldn't be happier to see him. Bradley Whitford can't wait to tell him that he would have voted for Obama a third time if only the Constitution would let him. All of this. But something is just not quite right. Something is definitely off. And it's not quite clear what it is, but they have a couple of uh, staff on the grounds Mm -hmm. and these people are weird. These -hmm. people are very, Mm -hmm. very weird. And he doesn't quite know why. And we don't quite know why. And I don't want to say too much more. I will say, however, that there is one of the most nightmarish garden parties <laughs> that I have ever seen committed to film or, or any kind of party. You know, you, you, you have these sort of experiences sometimes um, where you're just like, this is just, everything is awful and I want to go home. It's one of those, um, except taken maybe to a slightly higher degree. So, uh, yeah, things get uh, very horrific very fast. But this is basically a film about race, white privilege, um, and uh, and and just the monstrousness of of the sort of the system, uh, and it's not in a preachy way, but that is a hundred percent what's happening here. This is this is basically Black Lives Matter, the film, um, but not in a in your face sort of way. It's a brilliant genre film, mm-hmm. and it also has uh, that really important message at its heart. Yes, um, it manages to to tread the line between those two just just mm. perfectly. I thought so. Really, really impressive work. Brilliant work from from Daniel. Um, brilliant work as well from Betty, Betty Gabriel as Georgina, who's one of the, the servants on the property. Um, really, really stunning turn from her. And Lakeith Stanfield also uh, steals a few scenes. I think the big breakout of this actually might be Lil Rel Howery, yeah. who plays uh, Chris's friend Rod, who's he's basically talking to him down the phone, but he's kind of the comic relief of the piece, yeah. and he's just so good. He is. There's moments in it where you think he's sort of slightly from a different movie, but you need him in bit. there. A little bit, yeah, you do need him, though. And it is funny. He's very funny. Yeah. Um, and But the, it's all in the casting, isn't it? Bradley Whitford and Catherine Keener are inspired choices. Yeah. They give just them, having them as those two roles just makes the whole thing make sense yeah, in a really weird does. way. I wasn't 100% smitten by the just the final few scenes, mm-hmm. final scene or two. I just I felt... I quite like that. But no, but I mean, some people will... We'll, we'll like it I just felt like I don't know I felt like it maybe was going somewhere else um, but uh, I thought it was great yeah really it, good it is uh, I think it's it's a big one to see it's been a huge hit already in the States made for something mm-hmm. like $4 million has it's already passed movie, yeah. yeah has already passed the $100 million mark in the US and uh, and you can see why it's, it's, a, it's a it's a brilliantly entertaining film first and foremost so you say it has a certain appeal mm. oh. Oh they're calling it like um Guess who's coming to dinner meets Stepford Wives meets... Guess who's coming to dinner meets Texas Chains. No, I mean, yeah, it's all of that. No, it's it's, all of it, but it feels yeah. very fresh for the, for those sort of touch points. Yeah, it very much does. Yeah. So you say it would be appealing. Oh, boy. Chris, no. Four stars, then. Yeah. Come on, Chris, back in the room. Four stars. Four stars. Four stars for Get Out. Get out. Babylon 5 is a big pile of shit. Get uh, out. Get out. <laughs> it's going to be a lot of fun to go to the cinema. <laughs> Two tickets to get out. We could go on for days. No. Anyway. And that's it for this week's Empire Podcast, brought to you by three. Join us next week for more film-related fun, where we'll be joined by... 
Army Hammer. Ooh. Yeah, one of the stars of Ben Wheatley's Free Fire. Mm. Very, very exciting stuff. That interview took place in October, so everything's already <laughs> out of date. Uh, until then, it is goodbye from Helen. Toodaloo. It's goodbye from Phil Cat. A goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. I'm off to cram a bunch of snakes into a Ford car as research for my new script, St. Patrick's Day, colon, Snakes in a Ford Car. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think Starring, that's historically... Never yeah, mind. Starring Dwayne the Shamrock Johnson as Chris O'Dowd. It's going to be amazing. Good Lord.